Liver Health Podcast listeners. Hello, John. Good evening, Paul. Good evening, Will. Good evening, Paul. Good evening, John. Good evening, Will. And tonight we're talking about cirrhosis. What a strange word. Yeah, this has actually come up because some of our listeners have heard our other podcasts and have wondered what the term really means. Um, and I, I think we should go back a little bit because um, this term has been around quite a long time. It's quite an unusual word. It's cirrhosis, spelled C-I-R-R-H-O-S-I-S. So it's unusual spelling as well. And two people do get confused between cirrhosis and psoriasis. Psoriasis is a skin disease whereas cirrhosis is really scarring of the liver. And I think we need to talk about this a little bit more because um, scarring of the liver um, is not quite as straightforward as you might imagine. John, John, can I interrupt? What is, where does the word come from? It's such a bizarre word. Like, what is it, what's its derivation? What's it initially, what was it used for? Well, it originally comes from the Greek word kyros and... The term was first used by René Lenec, who invented the stethoscope, but he also described the, the brownish-yellow discoloration of the liver in people who drank too much. So, so it was recognised that heavy drinkers developed hard livers, often shrunken livers, which had a discoloration, yellowy, browny, or tan-coloured. And Will, Will, what does it mean? So, well, like you know, in medical school literature, you know, when we're getting taught stuff, what, is, what does the word mean? Because there's a public perception about what the word means and there's, I think, our understanding, and often they're quite different. I mean, in essence, the cirrhosis means it refers to the replacement of normal, healthy liver cells with scar tissue. Um, and some scar tissue can build up over time, so it's not a condition that occurs acutely or quickly. It's a condition that most often occurs after a disease has been affecting the liver for a long time and it could be many different diseases and that scar tissue just builds up over time and eventually gets to the point where a pathologist could look down a microscope at a piece of the liver tissue and say, well, there's enough scar tissue in there and there's enough distortion of the normal liver to call this cirrhosis. So it's part of a staging system. So it's it's a medical scarring, it's a... An amount of me- of liver scarring will it's not a it's not a term that necessarily describes how sick or unsick your liver is. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. And it, it doesn't it, it doesn't describe how much scarring is in the liver. It describes the uh, distortion of the normal liver architecture. So, will my view is that many people think that cirrhosis is nearly always associated with alcohol, but that's not quite true. In fact, any condition that affects the liver and causes irritation ultimately lays down scar in the liver as a part of a healing process. And if that process is ongoing and continuous, then the scarring can develop to the point where an individual has cirrhosis. Yeah, I mean, the liver's got a very limited way it can respond to damage. So if the liver's under constant damage and irritation from whatever the cause could be alcohol could be viruses it could be some other autoimmune disease then the way it responds to that is to lay down scar tissue and the other thing i think is important is when we went to medical school the definition of cirrhosis was an irreversible advanced 
fibrosis or scarring of the liver. But notice that you use the word irreversible. But now we know actually it is reversible. If you stop drinking, if you have hepatitis C or a viral hepatitis that's treated, or if you have fatty liver and you lose weight and you exercise, you can actually reverse the scarring process, although it may take many years. Yeah, the, I mean, the body is naturally trying to turn over scar tissue all the time. That's part of the body's sort of natural uh, response to scar tissue. So just to summarise again, the word doesn't necessarily mean your liver stuffed. It means you've got serious liver damage, but it doesn't mean anything is irreversible. And the scarring that the term is describing is reversible. It can melt away with appropriate medical care. So the misconceptions that it's just due to alcohol and an irreversible condition are both wrong. Paul, can you give me some guide? Because we do talk about it melting away, but... But what sort of time frames are we talking? We're not talking weeks or months? Well, I think it depends. Like it's a scarring description and you can have really fine, delicate, new scarring. We can have scarring that's been there and well-established for years or decades. And the years or decades stuff, I think, is permanent. You know, it's type concrete-type liver. And the delicate meshwork, fine lace-type scarring probably does melt away in months, maybe years, but I think definitely in a relatively short timeline. I, I absolutely agree with this. And, and in fact, I use an analogy sometimes with patients about um, the term dwelling. Dwelling is a house or, or, or a building you live in, but a tent is a dwelling and so is a concrete bunker. And cirrhosis is a bit, is a bit like this. You, you can have very, very thick walls of scarring, like a concrete bunker. And really, there's very little that will be able to get that completely back to normal. Whereas you can also have cirrhosis, which is like a tent, where it's very, very thin layers of scarring. And actually, over a couple of years, quite quickly, that scarring could dissolve and you can actually have resolution or, you know, complete curing of that cirrhosis. And John, I've already said sort of that it doesn't mean your liver's had it. But what, what does it mean? Like, is it serious or is it not serious if someone's telling you you've got cirrhosis or almost got cirrhosis there are some definite implications in terms of risk of liver cancer so we know that patients who do not have cirrhosis have a lower risk of primary liver cancer or this is cancer starts in the liver than someone who has cirrhosis and and this is clearly important for patients because actually we we now have really good therapies for liver cancer and we embark on a program of ultrasounds every six months and blood tests to try and pick up small cancers in patients with cirrhosis so that we can cure them, hopefully, of that. But, but apart from liver cancer, John, what are the implications of the diagnosis? What, what is that diagnosis telling you as the doctor and what are you telling the patient what, if they've got cirrhosis? Well, it, certainly it's, it tells us you've got to an extent of scarring which is quite critical and um, but not necessarily irreversible but the the priority of management should be to try and stop the irritation to the liver so if it's drinking stop drinking if it's viral hepatitis take antiviral therapy or go to your doctor to get some antiviral therapy um, and if it's fatty liver increased exercise weight loss which can can improve the situation so it tells us that you're, you've reached reached a critical juncture where the scarring has formed a certain pattern within your liver but actually, um, that can be reversed. But if it progresses, it can get to the point where the blood flow into the liver 
is impacted. And actually, that is where most of the complications of cirrhosis really arise. So it's it's a red flag for the doctor and the patient that unless we change the trajectory of what's happening with their liver, they're going to end up with liver failure and death. Uh, so it's a really it's a red flag, I guess, to take this very seriously. It's a life-threatening problem. Absolutely. I mean, that, and that's important that that is not someone's predetermined destiny if they have cirrhosis. They may not develop those complications and they can further reduce the chance of developing those complications if they treat whatever is causing the underlying liver disease. Can we talk, we, we talk about something a little bit different and this is the diagnosis of cirrhosis because many of the listeners will um, maybe may have you know, fatty liver or, or drink a bit too much and um, be worried about having cirrhosis. Um, you're an expert in this field of non-invasive assessment. Can you tell us about how, how we assess um, currently, now, the way we, um, whether someone has cirrhosis or not? Yep. So it is an important part of our job as liver doctors when we see a patient is to make an assessment as to whether the patient has cirrhosis. And so some of the clues to that we get from the history of the patient and from the clinical examination of the patient. Um, and that is often very informative. But often we do need additional tests. And one way we used to do um, tests was to do a liver biopsy, which was to take a small little sample of the liver and look under the microscope. And that is a test that we still sometimes perform, but we certainly don't need to do that in all patients. We do want to have a look at the liver, though, and there are a couple of ways to do that. And one really simple way is just to do an ultrasound. And an ultrasound is the same equipment that pregnant mothers might have to look at a baby, a bit of jelly on the skin, and the ultrasound can give us really informative pictures of the liver. But we now have a technique of using similar um, technology to ultrasound that can actually measure how hard the liver is. And that's really helpful. The liver is normally quite soft, almost jelly-like, but, but a cirrhotic liver, a liver with lots of scar tissue, is quite hard. And the machines can tell us that. In fact, the interesting story is, is the machine that was used initially to do that, the Fibroscan, was devised by a gentleman who'd worked in the food industry in France and was looking at the ripeness of cheese. And he, he really was working in the food industry and the ripeness of cheese to save money from spoiling cheese because they also biopsy cheese to see if it's ripe. And then he thought, what can I do to expand this to medical health and realise that the liver would be a perfect organ because it's hidden behind the rib cage and it's not easily accessible to physicians, is it? That's right. I mean, we examine the tummy and sometimes we can feel a liver and feel a liver that's very hard, but often we can't feel the liver because it is hidden in the rib cage and we need to use some of these special tools. Well, what about symptoms? So if you've got cirrhosis, what is that, you know, should a patient have symptoms? Do they not have symptoms? What symptoms might they have that could alert them to see their doctor? Yeah. Thinking maybe they've got liver disease. Yeah. I mean, it, that is one of, I guess, the problems with the term cirrhosis is it can describe a huge variation of patients. There are patients with cirrhosis who have no symptoms at all and may have normal liver function tests, um, but there are patients with cirrhosis who are critically ill in hospital um, needing liver transplant or, or with days to live. So there's this huge spectrum of patients. Um, so I think that's important people are aware that you don't have to have symptoms and cirrhosis can be one of these conditions that can just creep along in the background um, and it often does that because it, it is diagnosed often many years after liver injury has started. 
Um, but symptoms that can occur and that people should be aware of are uh, um, turning yellow. So that's where the word comes from, the jaundice. Um, uh, and so that is an important symptoms. Retaining excess fluid. It can be in the ankles, but it can also be accumulating in the belly. can be a really important um, symptom. And also confusion and sleepiness. But these are often occur in really advanced forms of cirrhosis. So our aim as liver doctors is often to try and diagnose cirrhosis before these symptoms occur. So it's fair to say that in, in some patients there may be no symptoms whatsoever or very subtle symptoms that really don't point to liver disease like fatigue and, and so forth. Um, so and those symptoms are really non-specific. I mean, they are not only caused by cirrhosis, of course, they can be caused by many different conditions. Yeah, and, and you said the liver test can also be normal. So, so really there, there will be a proportion of people who, who have cirrhosis and neither they nor their doctors will be aware of it yeah and i think that's really important so i think the um the doctor or the health professional needs to not only be trying to ascertain whether the individual has cirrhosis but also looking at the potential risk factors that have caused that cirrhosis and in in our communities those common risk factors are things like alcohol or viral hepatitis or fatty liver disease and these are sort of the key common risk factors that we see in our patients but there's actually a long list of things that can cause cirrhosis most of them are what you've just said and symptoms again just summarizing will it's really varied from nothing to life-threatening problems Um, but many people we see have really little or no symptoms related to that the diagnosis so would it be fair to say that some patients will present um, incidentally with say an ultrasound that shows a knobbly surface to their liver and, and I, I've certainly seen patients like this and they come to you and then you might send them off for a special liver stiffness measurement, find out it's elevated, and then then we will hunt for causes. Is that a fair, a fair enough summary of, of how some patients with that, without symptoms may present? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that is probably describes the majority of our patients. And John, what about treating it? So you've been given the diagnosis and you've heard on a podcast that it's reversible. How do you reverse it? I mean, this is a, a brilliant question, but it's really specific to the, the condition. Um, and we've talked about some some um, topics in other podcasts that can be helpful in reducing scarring um, in cirrhosis. But if it's alcohol, then clearly reduction and preferably abstinence of alcohol um, will re- reduce the inflammation or irritation from alcohol in the liver. Viral hepatitis, we now have drugs for hepatitis C and hepatitis B, uh, which are extremely effective and and can stop the virus in its tr- track. In case of hepatitis C, it can cure, and hepatitis B, it can control the virus. And, and fatty liver disease, um, reducing weight, increased exercise, um, not only physical activity, but also exercise. And we've discussed that in, in other podcasts. So really, removal of the noxious agent allows the very cells that had laid down the scar to convert to cells that can then dissolve the scar but the process of dissolving takes many years it's not it's not done in a few months it can take many years to dissolve but there's no generic treatment to melt away the scarring it's treat you treat whatever's causing the scarring there's no scarring melting drug yeah well that's a great question and and there's been a hunt for for drugs like that because there are other drugs that can cause reduction of scarring in the heart and in the kidneys. Um, and they've been tried in the liver and we haven't really had much success. So we don't have a generic 
anti-scarring drug um, for cirrhosis. And what about, will prognosis? So one of these well people with no symptoms comes in, they've got cirrhosis from disease B or disease X, whatever. What about, what about, and they ask you, how long are they going to be around for? What is their prognosis? Is it weeks or months or years or decades? What would you, what's the answer to that, to that question? Yeah, so in the individual who doesn't already have symptoms, I tell them that as a rule of thumb, about half of people will develop symptoms in 10 years. That's my general rule of thumb. Um, now, that chance of developing symptoms, as we've already talked about, can be modified by treating the underlying condition, reducing the alcohol, treating the viral hepatitis. So I think there's a group of patients in whom they have a long life expectancy without developing symptoms because the cirrhosis will resolve. And that substantially reduces their risk of developing symptoms. So somebody, just to pin you down there for Will, someone with, for example, hepatitis B or hepatitis C, they've got no symptoms, you treat their hepatitis appropriately and they're 50, how many years is they going to live at work for? Their liver could last them their entire lifetime. Yeah, so it shouldn't, ideally, if they're lucky, it shouldn't shorten their life expectancy, so decades. That's right. Paul, um, you've, you've worked with the patients who have got the most severe disease, um, people who've needed liver transplants, and um, those patients have complications of cirrhosis, and they're, they're different to the ones we've just been talking about, the ones who are asymptomatic. Um, who have no symptoms. So can you talk to us a little bit about the symptoms of, of severe liver disease? How, do, how does someone know if they're, they're really getting into trouble with severe liver disease? We'll touch upon it, but I just want you to elaborate. Yeah, it becomes increasingly obvious, obviously, as you progress along that spe- spectrum from no symptoms to, you know, to near death. And in my mind, the sort of sequence of symptoms is tiredness, which everybody's got, and then swollen ankles, which lots of people have, and then jaundice, which is your skin colour changes a little yellow and your the whites of your eyes become a little yellow, and then often swollen tummy, loss of muscle, especially muscle around your shoulders, and then confusion, and then that group of patients really is in and out of hospital with life-threatening complications from the liver disease. The liver makes clotting factors, so these people bleed and or bruise easily. Uh, just we'll stop a, a minute for the confusion because um, that's got a term. It's called hepatic encephalopathy. I mean, basically, it's confusion from liver disease, but it's treated by by giving a laxative, isn't it? Yeah, it's a yeah. It's it's quite bizarre, uh, but you, you're right. Like the just to expand on this conversation, this is real confusion where you know you can't find the bathroom in your own house. You're so confused. And you're right, John, the, the treatment, the primary treatment for that is to give somebody a laxative. And um, most often it is amazingly effective. And it, it, of course, tells us that the problem isn't in the brain if you're fixing it by giving somebody a laxative. It's in, you know, you're getting rid of the toxins which are causing confusion and those toxins are made in your bowel. And just so the, the listeners can understand, when you have food, um, we talked about this before, but the liver's function is to, to take all the good things from your gut and use them for building and also reduce all the toxins and actually excrete the toxins and break them down. But when the blood's not flowing well through the liver, um, these new channels of blood vessels can go around the liver and avoid the processes which are normally undertaken by the liver, and those toxins can reach the brain. 
And yeah, and they cause confusion anywhere from, you know, you're a little off colour and you can't finish the crossword to you're absolutely unconscious, not a ventilator to, you know, stop you dying immediately. And that can happen in, in twelve hours, can't it? Less than that. Yeah, like, like um yeah, like in most most people whose liver disease progresses really slowly, it's often something that happens over days. Um, sometimes even subtly over weeks before people realise there's something wrong. Oh no, I meant I meant uh, there are some patients who have, have got quite um, severe disease, and they can be talking to you and oh. quite coherent, um, really one hour, and then a few hours later be in coma. Correct. Yeah, it can be really, really terrifying for both patient and family members when that that problem's happening. And and sometimes a precipitant can be a medication that causes constipation, for example, that changes the the frequency of your bowel motions. And then uh, you can have precipitation of this that causes coma. It's really staggering, isn't it? Um, and in fact, there's what the other other drug that's used is rifaximin. It's an antibiotic that changes the gut flora. So the gut is well. We've talked about the microbiome before, but it's clearly very important in this process. Can, can I just ask a couple of questions that I know our listeners have on their mind? One is, if you've been diagnosed with cirrhosis, what what do you tell people about alcohol? I mean, can people with cirrhosis still drink? I get asked that all the time. Um, we all get asked that all the time. And if they've got cirrhosis from alcohol, I tell them the ideal thing is stopping drinking totally fever if they can. And, you know, we live in an imperfect world and sometimes you can't. If you've got cirrhosis from something that is not alcohol, I think there's ifs and buts. And it, I... Don't, I would not be too harsh personally to most people um, if you could otherwise fix whatever is causing their liver disease and they want to have a glass of wine on special occasions or going out for dinner. I personally would be quite lenient. I don't know what you think, John. I would prefix that with how the liver is functioning. So, so we talked about cirrhosis and we mustn't get confused between what is the pattern of scarring, which is called cirrhosis, and the impact on liver function. And eventually the scarring becomes so much that the cells that are in between the scarring become so few that the liver can't actually function because it doesn't have enough cells. And if you have disruption to your function, then really any toxin should be avoided. So, so that's, a, that's, that's more advanced than just simply cirrhosis with normal liver tests, normal functioning of the liver. Um, so... Th- I agree with Paul. I think we live in an imperfect world. Ideally, we should say to everyone, you shouldn't drink alcohol at all if there's a risk of that having any severe consequences. But in someone who has really normal functioning liver, I think the consequences would be be minor if it was a very, very minimal amount of alcohol. I'm not talking about you know going out three nights a week and, and drinking excessively. The other question I've been asked, John, is you know, can you get cirrhosis of one piece of your liver? Do you know, this is such a brilliant question because ever since I've been doing liver disease, patients have been asking me this and I've, you know, I foolishly have chuckled to myself when I've heard this question because I thought, you know, of course it affects the whole of the liver. But until I I started doing liver transplant with you, Paul, and we would actually look at livers that were removed 
and see them sectioned and you would see patches of liver that had severe scarring and patches that were regenerating and patches that had minor scarring and actually the question that the patients asked me was much more intelligent than my approach to it so the answer is is yes you can get patchiness of the disease throughout it um, it's really the sum of all the parts which determines how the liver will ultimately function you only have one liver not like that we have two kidneys and and other organs that we have two of so so it is a sum of all the the disease across the whole of the liver but you're absolutely right and the patients were absolutely right there are parts of your liver that may be more scarred than others there's also a perception i think sometimes that the scarring is like there's a big lump of scar tissue that just Mm. needs to be removed Mm. and it's not that because this is happening there is scar tissue distributed most often through the whole of your liver at a microscopic level so it's not a big a big chunk that you can just chop out Yep. But, but it does explain why sometimes also patients say, oh, I had a biopsy and it didn't show that I had cirrhosis. And then a year later, I had another biopsy and it did. And, and, and there is some variation because um, a biopsy of the liver is about one fifty thousandth of the liver. So it is a small representation of a very large organ. I mean, this organ is one and a half litres, one and a half kilograms in weight. It's the biggest organ um, within the body. So it, it's a very small representation when you have a biopsy. So you can sometimes catch pieces which are less or more scarred than others. Yeah, you might have sampled the, the wrong bit. I mean, in generally speaking, it's not that a bit is cirrhotic and the rest of the liver is normal. No, that's right. that a bit is cirrhotic and the other bits are not quite cirrhotic, but they're not far behind. So, as you said, the sum total of the liver has to be severely affected. Absolutely. So just to summarise all of this, cirrhosis is a funny medical word that's not actually often not that helpful clinically. It doesn't describe necessarily well to patients what's, what's going wrong. It's a spectrum from a liver that works perfectly to a liver that's failing. It is caused by a variety of long-term irritants to the liver. The common ones being alcohol, being overweight, which is fatty liver disease, and hepatitis B and C. And most importantly, it's reversible. So you treat what's causing the injury, and the scarring that has caused the cirrhosis melts away. The other thing that's important to emphasise is the prognosis can be fantastic. So if picked up early and treated well, you should be here for decades. You've been listening to the Liver Health Podcast. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Liver Health Pod. We hope you found it interesting and entertaining. But remember, while we are doctors, we are not your doctor. You are unique and you deserve personalised medical advice, which is essential for making informed decisions about your health and well-being. Because the information presented in this podcast is general in nature, it may not be relevant to your circumstances and is not a substitute for professional advice from your healthcare professional. The opinions expressed by the hosts and guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the organisations we work for. In fact, those organisations don't even know that we've made this podcast. So if you've enjoyed listening, don't forget to subscribe and don't forget to tune in to our next episode on Fatty Liver. You can also leave a review and a rating which will help others find us. Thanks for listening. Till next time.